What an appropriate last song for the text we're on today. They've been gone from the record, but the NCAA, the Jewish NCAA is back. We have the guys in the New Testament that were virtually like that. I'm always amazed. I've never cared for the NCAA. They're the ultimate in hypocrisy, and they certainly proved that this year when some certain quarterback was being beaten up because he's making money off his autographs, and then we go to their website, and they're making money off his autograph. You have pretty much the Jewish NCAA coming to see Jesus. Now, you're going to have to pay attention to the text because this is the explanation of one of the most difficult verses in the Scripture. Now, I want you to remember something. Everything Jesus Christ did in his life from the beginning after the baptism, particularly, is orchestrated by the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. He is in submission to his Father. Everything he does, everything he says is in response to the Holy Spirit's guidance in his life. Now, Jesus is in a room. It's, he's a rock star. I mean, he's just a celebrity. He can't even eat. He's in this room, and it's just so crowded. He can't even get a bite to eat. There are just hundreds of people around him. Some of them had to have been previous healings and exorcisms. Now, let's just assume. There's bound to be some people in this room who have been exorcised by Jesus. That is, he has, as the song says, they're exactly right. It's the sound of Jesus' name. All he does is step up and speak. And the demons leave. And when they try to worship him, he stops them with a word and they're gone. If you're a young woman in that day and your husband was demon-possessed, you had to kick him out of the house. You couldn't live with him. So now you're struggling with your children trying to make ends meet. And all of a sudden, one day, there's a knock on the door. You open it up and you jump back because standing there is your husband. And before you can slam the door, he says, whoa, 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 whoa. I know you're scared but I'm not what I was. The demon that was inside me has been removed. So she looks at him. His eyes don't have that distant, fiery, jittery, faraway look. He seems calm, seems normal, but obviously she's a little leery, and she says, well, what happened? A guy named Jesus spoke, and the being that was in me left, been gone ever since. She loves this man. It's been an enormous struggle not having him in the house. So maybe he says to her, because surely this happened with some people. Why don't you come with me and meet him? I want you to hear what he has to say. There had to have been some people in the crowd that have the scenarios, not just people needing healing. There's bound to have been some that have been healed. And so he takes her to this room where Jesus is, and now they're in the room and they hear Jesus talking. He talks about being the son of God. 
in relationship to the Father, all the things he's going to do, how the Father relates to them, how he will relate to them. And so he begins to share, and they're listening. And again, it's just according to the text, just crowded. They're just shoved next to each other. And then all of a sudden, there's a commotion over here. And this stuck-together crowd begins to part, which is a little shocking. And you look over, and here they come, the Jewish leadership that you have, by the way, spent your entire life revering, trusting, and, in essence, being afraid of. They control your life. One smart thing about the Romans, when they took over a country, they allowed pretty much self-rule as long as you weren't in rebellion against the Roman Empire. So these guys control the day. They kick you out of the synagogue, you're out of the synagogue. They can ruin you economically. They are the most powerful men in the world, and they are men who have spent their lives studying this book. If they're like the guys we saw at the wall at the temple in Israel, they're sitting there with their Bibles open, they're clothed a certain way, and they're locked into the deal. So they come into the room, people begin to part, they step in, and in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, here's what happens. The scribes, who were from Jerusalem, came down from Jerusalem, were saying, he has Beelzebub, and that in the ruler of the demons, by the means of the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. They break the crowd up. Everybody's standing there. So basically you got three things, right? Orchestrated by the Holy Spirit of God. We know that. But orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, you've got three things. Now you've got the Jewish leadership. You've got the regular people, some healed, some not. And then you've got Jesus over here. And so they come in and they walk into this crowd and in front of all these people, including Let's just assume there's some people, had to be, that have been healed, and they brought someone with them, maybe a guy with his wife. She's pumped. Man, she's got her husband back. She's holding his hand, in this, and she's listening. She's listening to Jesus because he's healed her husband. And all of a sudden, the crowd parts. Jewish leadership comes in. Don't say hello. Don't say how are you doing. They walk into the crowd, and the head dog of whoever this disputation was says, those of you that have been exercised, those of you that have had demons kicked out, let me tell you how he did it. He's a con man. He's a liar. He's a hypocrite. He's filled with the head of the demons and that's why he's able to control them. He's possessed by Satan himself, and because of that, the demons yield to what he says, which, by the way, is real plausible. One thing we know, the demons never mess with Satan. Whoever he is, whatever kind of being he is, he is one massive dude because the demons never jack with him. There's never an insurrection against him like he led, an insurrection against God Almighty. This guy is powerful. And so the demons never do rebel, and so they come in and say, well, tell you how you're exercised. These demons have come out of you because this man that casts them out is simply filled with a head of demons himself. A, plausible explanation. 
Now, let me ask you something. Let's suppose you're this young wife. Your husband's been demon-possessed, hasn't been able to come home. His actions have been just atrocious. Can't let him near the kids, and now all of a sudden he's back home, and his eyes have changed, and everything's fine. And now the people that you revere, that you trust, that you fear, are in the room, pointing at him across the room, and saying, the reason he's able to do what he does is because he's filled with the head of the demons himself. If you're holding his hand, it gets a little looser right now because you're smart enough to know if the only reason the demons left your husband is because the head of the demons cast him out, he's coming back. So if you're this young girl hoping that you got your marriage back, and you're holding hands with this man listening to Jesus, and these people come in, and this explanation is totally plausible. But let me tell you something. Your hand's not holding him as tight as it was a minute ago. You are a little scared because the people you revere and you trust have just told you that this Jesus is a con man and a liar. And their explanation is plausible. Calling them in, he spoke to them in parables. Now, I know somebody's going to email me and say, they weren't parables, they were metaphors. They didn't do our English grammar back then, so let it go. And he said to them, how is Satan able to cast out Satan? Now, understand something. Satan has one agenda in life to keep you from God. And the best way he can do that is not just to influence you, but to possess you. Now, if you were not here in the summer, I don't generally encourage you to listen to my sermons. I can trust you on that. But I did do two things, one on faith thing and one on demon possession. I would encourage you to get that. I don't have time to go back into that, but simply understand that his goal in the life of a lost person is to possess them because if he can possess them, he has absolute Control. It's not just influence anymore. It's absolute control, which is what he wants and what he craves. How is Satan able to kick out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom is not able to stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house is not able to stand. Simple, understandable metaphors. And if Satan should arise against himself and be divided, He's not able to stand, but he has an end. No one is able to enter the house of a strong man and take what he has in that house unless he first binds the strong man, and then he can go into the house and rob it. Now, here's Jesus' answer. Now, here you are, this young girl. You got your hand in your husband's hand, but it's a little looser now. You've been listening to Jesus, but these guys have come in and said, no, I'm telling you, he's doing this because he's got the other demons in him. A plausible explanation. And now you turn, and here's Jesus. 
And Jesus says, in response to the leadership, he says, not true. No house can be divided against itself. The enemy wants to control you. He wants to possess you. He would never kick you out of what he's worked so hard to possess. The only kind of person that could step into a house and plunder the house is if the person is stronger than the person whose house he's breaking into. I have broken into Satan's house and plundered his house, his kingdom, and I have plundered it because I am bigger than he is. I am the son of God. I didn't do it with a wrestling match. I didn't do it with a fight. I simply spoke. What's the song? At the sound of the name of Jesus, all I did was speak. And when they came out and tried to worship me, I said, no, get out of here. My voice undid his kingdom, broke into his house, and plundered you from him. If you're this young girl, you're holding your husband's hand. These guys have come in and made a plausible explanation for why your husband's okay. And if their explanation is true, he's not going to continue okay. But now this man that you don't know, that you've never met in your life, this man has made an explanation that is equally plausible. Makes sense. Satan would never divide against himself. He loves to possess us. We've seen it all over Israel. He's cast out all sorts of demons. There's no question. Satan would never voluntarily give up what he's done. He makes sense. So now, what do you do? You got two plausible explanations. You're holding the hand of a man who says that man fixed him. Which do you believe? Do you believe what Jesus says about himself? Or do you believe what these men say about Jesus? What do you do if you're her? That is the moment that the Holy Spirit of God will bring into every single life in this room. He will bring you to a place where you choose whether or not you believe what men say about Jesus or whether or not you believe what Jesus says about himself. It's eerily similar to Genesis 3. This week there was a horrible story about Adrian Peterson running back for the Minnesota Vikings, whose two-year-old son was beaten to death by this idiot stepfather that had him. You know, we read those kind of stories, and they just if you've had kids, it just makes you nauseated. But every bit of that 
came from Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve have this perfect life. And Eve's walking along one day. She's taking a stroll, and all of a sudden, the one possessing these people is standing there. He says, hey, hey, how's paradise? It's great. Man, it's just wonderful. God's great. The world's great. Really? What can you do here? Well, do anything. Well, the tree you're standing next to, we can't eat from that tree, but everything else we can, we can have. Really? Who told you you can't eat from this tree? Well, God told us. Why did he tell you that? Because if we eat from this tree, we'll die. He told you that? Yeah. No, 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 no. You won't die. Quite the opposite. He's scared. He knows that if you eat from that tree, you will become just like he is. He is terrified of you eating from that tree. That's why he told you. He just scared you, man. It's a lie. She and Adam believe him, eat the tree, and several thousand years later, we got a stepfather beating to death a two-year-old child. Every filthy piece of junk that is under this world is because of what Adam and Eve believed when they believed what Satan said instead of what God said. Now, the reverse is here. Your redemption is contingent on whether or not you believe what Jesus says about himself or whether or not you believe what men say about him. And here's the horror. Look at what he says, verse 28. I'll tell you truly, everything shall be forgiven, sons of men, their sins and their blasphemies, whatever they might blaspheme, but whoever should blaspheme the Holy Spirit, he shall not have forgiveness forever, but shall be guilty of an eternal sin, because they kept on saying he has an unclean spirit. You know who orchestrated this room where this girl is now holding the hand of her husband, and now she faces a choice between believing what Jesus says about himself or what these men say about him. You know who orchestrated this room? Holy Spirit of God. You say, wait a minute, preacher. God's sovereign. He handles it. No, sir. He is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he has given us absolutely free choice. Jesus Christ, in one of the most plaintive, and I say this reverently, but in one of the most plaintive wails he ever uttered, he stood looking down at Jerusalem, at the temple, at the Garden of Gethsemane, at Golgotha, all the things that were about to happen to him. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not let me. At some point in your life, you're going to be walking somewhere, or you're going to be in a Chris Tomlin concert, or you're going to be in a sermon, or somebody's going to witness to you, but at some point you're going to hear some truth about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's going to orchestrate things where you're, you're going to hear that Jesus, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And you're going to mention it to somebody, and they're going to say, listen, 
I don't think Jesus is the only way to God. Are you kidding me? There's all sorts of isms out there. There's Buddhism. There's Judaism. There's Islam. There's all sorts of isms out there. There's no way Christianity is the only way to a holy God. It's just not possible. There's no way Jesus is the only way. And at that moment, at that moment, the Holy Spirit will orchestrate that time. And if you agree with your friend about Jesus and you disagree with what Jesus said about himself, then you will step into an eternity with absolutely no forgiveness. You can be forgiven for an abortion, molestation, drunkenness, all the little Baptist things. You can even be forgiven for beating and killing a two-year-old child. But the one thing that you cannot be forgiven for is when the Holy Spirit orchestrates in your life this moment where you know what Jesus says about himself and then you're listening to other people say different things about Jesus. At that moment, the decision you make will determine whether you are forgiven or not forgiven that moment when somebody says to you you know I think Jesus is a good guy he did some great things had some great teaching but come on he can't possibly be the son of God he can't possibly tell me that his death on the cross is the ransom payment for my sin that is exactly what Jesus said about himself you listen to me what he did in this room he will do to every single one of us in our lives. He will orchestrate a moment where we face what Jesus says and believe that or believe what people say. Exactly what happened to this young woman. She will leave this room today one of two ways. She will believe what Jesus says and she will leave the room excited and holding tightly to her husband's hand because she knows since Jesus healed him, those demons aren't coming back. Or she will believe what her leaders have said and she will go home not holding her hand because she knows at some point the demons are returning. That's you. Going to bring you to a point, as he did me, as he's done so many of us, where we believe what Jesus says about himself or what everybody else says. That decision totally and completely decides how you die. You either die unforgiven or you die completely forgiven. And that is an orchestration by the Holy Spirit, and that is your choice. Let's pray. Father, it's always somebody, ironically, always somebody we respect that disagrees with what Jesus said about himself. Father, I pray today if there's anybody in this room 
that today they understand they have to make that decision. Father, I just ask real simply, let them walk out of here today forgiven through the blood of your son. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for being the only way. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us. And I thank you that I made the wise decision to believe what you told me. Honor that moment in this room. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask that.